verses 1 through 7. I don't know if you've ever run across unrealistic and therefore funny job postings. I ran across this this week. I don't, well, you can tell me if you think it's real. Progressive employer seeks Harvard-trained Harvard neuroscientist and beauty pageant winner must be fluent in Mandarin and skilled at tribal basket weaving. Minimum 10 years experience working for high-tech companies, salary in the mid-30s. Realistic? No. But it's good for us to ask the question, what is realistic? What's a realistic expectation of what a pastor should be? I don't know if you've wondered what the employment requirements are of a pastor. Does the Bible have anything to say about what that might be? Does the pastor need to have the social, kind of, social influence of Michael Jordan or more? Does he need the wisdom of Solomon? The preaching power of George Whitfield? The theological precision of the Apostle Paul? Does he need the miracle working ability of Elijah? Or the leadership ability of Moses? Maybe not. That's not realistic. But seriously, what are the requirements for pastoral ministry? Today we explore those in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Recall the purpose of the book. The book's purpose is summarized in chapter 3, verse 14. Paul wants, Timoth he wants to come quickly to Timothy. And in verse 15 he says, If I delay, I want you to know how one ought to behave in the household of God, the pillar and buttress of truth, the the place, the household of God, the church, this church, every faithful church that holds up and, and, build, and, and, builds up, and holds up the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to get today together, we discover what a pastor is called to be. Now, I'm going to read the, read the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. And what you'll notice is that these are very pedestrian, very normal, very, well graspable kinds of qualifications. D.A. Carson says this list is, re is remarkable precisely because it's unremarkable. Here's the big idea. Unremarkable, faithful men can serve the remarkable, faithful God. Unremarkable, faithful men can serve the remarkable, faithful God in his church. That's the idea. I'm going to read beginning in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'll go all the way down through verse 7. So if you have a Bible, follow along with me if you would. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Let's pray. Lord, we pause here for a moment. 
not because we always pause here at this point in the sermon, but we pause because we need your help. I need your help most of all. Lord, as we open your word, we don't want this just to be an intellectual exercise, though our intellect is involved. We don't want this just to be a data dump of information, though there is information involved. We want this to be a moment where we meet with you. And Lord, I pray that you would empower your people by your Spirit to hear. I pray you would empower me by your Spirit to preach. I pray, Lord, that you would overcome my frailties, vulnerabilities, and limitations to communicate your, your word that will stand forever. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. This list is remarkable for being unremarkable. It's very understandable, isn't it? When you read it through, you can understand what each, each qualification is. I have four overlapping and interconnected observations from the list. But before I, before I point those out, I wanted to just ask an obvious question. Maybe it's obvious from the text. Maybe it's not. But what exactly does Paul mean when he says overseer? If you survey the American church landscape, you'll see all kinds of leadership structures. And by all kinds, I mean all kinds. Now, from, we know from Paul's writing and the New Testament that the words overseer, elder, and pastor are all synonyms. So, an elder is a, is a pastor, is an overseer. A pastor is an elder, is an overseer. I'll show you very briefly where I get that from. And if you have questions, as always, feel free to ask. In Acts chapter 20, Paul goes to a city called Miletus and calls the elders of the church of Ephesus to him. Verse 17, chapter 20, Luke reports... Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, and he began to preach. And then down in verse 28, he, said, he says to these same people that Luke calls elders, he says, Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his blood. And you can see in verse 17 and in verse 28, he uses the words elder and overseer interchangeably. Now, pastor, that, that's the idea that, that we see here in to care for the church of God. That's shepherding. So what we have is a cluster of these three words found in Acts chapter 20. So we can know for sure and for certain that in the New Testament, pastor, elder, overseer are synonymous terms. They're synonymous. And so one of, that's what, what does that mean? Just briefly, one of the things that means is that the board of elders at Center Church is, are not merely consultants making governmental decisions because that's not the picture we see in the New Testament. Elders are shepherds. They're not just outside consulting. They're in the midst of the body shepherding. Elders are pastors and overseers. There's more that we could say on that topic, but I'll leave it there for now. Four observations about this passage. Four observations about the qualifications we see about the unremarkable men who are called to be faithful that serve a remarkable God. Four observations together we see first. An overseer must be a man with good character. 
Good character, or the call to have a good character for an overseer, dominates this passage. This passage is very clear. None of the words that are used in here are hard to understand. You don't have to know Greek to understand what's going on. And in fact, these qualifications, none of them are special. None of them are high-octane qualifications only for pastors. This is something that all of us can aspire to. And notice, notice the com- almost complete absence of spiritual gifts. The focus here is not on what a man can do, but on who he is. And further, not just who he appears to be behind the pulpit in public, but who he really is at home. And this is exactly backward from our American sensibilities. We prioritize abilities over ethics. Personality over reliability, gifting over graces, a persona over personal character, gravitas over reliability. But the Bible is not like that. In many ways, and we can see this all over the place, we can tell the Bible was not written by Americans for Americans because in all kinds of ways and places we see it run counter to our American culture. So according to the scriptures, what must an overseer be? He must be self-controlled in his personal life. We can see this throughout. Sexually, he must be faithful to his wife. He must be the husband of one wife. He is not free to use his position to manipulate or prey on women. He must control himself sexually. He must be, as the text says, a one-woman man. He must be a kind of man that gives himself to his wife and family by serving and laying his life down for them. He must cherish his wife and love his wife above all other women. And he must be the lead servant of his wife in her life. He must be able to manage his own home. This means keeping things in order, especially Not things, the children aren't things, but keeping children under control. This text does not say that every pastor has to have children who are saved. Salvation is impossible to legislate, but in general, the pastor must be able to lead his family in such a way so that the children respect him and obey him. Will the kids mess up? Yes. Will they mess up badly? Certainly. But the idea here is the general pattern of a pastor's home is to be not out of control, chaotic kids, but in control, obedient kids. And there's all kinds of conversation that goes on about that. Depends on age and all this sort of thing. So there's also a pastor, an overseer, must be able to control his speech. So many other qualifications fall under the larger category of speech. Often you can tell if someone is above reproach or sober-minded or self-controlled or respectable or not violent or not quarrelsome by the way he speaks. If he's constantly picking fights, shooting off his mouth, spouting opinions that nobody asked for, drawing bright lines on debatable matters all over the place, that's his pattern of speech. He's likely not sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, not violent, and not quarrelsome. So uh, an elder, an overseer, a pastor must be one who controls his speech. He also must be above reproach. This means having a good reputation with people in the community in general. An overseer must be well thought of by the community leaders. 
if he's known by the community leaders, by the police, by teachers, by his children's teachers, by the coaches of his children's sports teams, by those he does business with, being honest and ethical. Now, being a, this text is not telling us that a pastor must have everybody think well of him. Not that pastors accumulate enemies just for doing the right things over time. Pastors can have people that regard him as an enemy just because pastor, a faithful pastor stands for biblical truth and sometimes people have to be disciplined. Self-control falls here under alcohol as well. He must be above reproach with the way he uses alcohol. Is he able to control his intake or of alcohol or does alcohol control him? Money, same thing. Is he greedy? An overseer must not get into the ministry if his goal is to get wealthy. The goal is to serve. An overseer must not be a lover of money, but a servant of people. And a pastor, I've seen it, can use their influence to try to enrich themselves. This is wrong. It's wrong to use pastoral authority to gain a better financial standing. That's wrong. In short, overseers need not be perfect, but faithful. Only Jesus is perfect, and a faithful pastor will live a consistent, not perfect, not flawless, but a consistent, generally faithful life that does not detract from the testimony of Jesus Christ. How could I or any overseer bid you to trust Jesus if I don't? How could I or any overseer preach that Jesus changes lives if he hasn't changed mine? How could I say he's safe to confess your sins to if I don't confess mine? See, an overseer is meant to be a man who lives a faithful life. An unremarkable man pointing to a remarkably faithful God. An overseer must be a man with good character. Secondly, an overseer must desire the work. The overseer, an overseer must desire the work. You can see this in verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now that might seem like, well, that's obvious. Here's, here's a way to think about that. It does no good for an overseer or the flock he oversees just to do it because people asked him to or because he wants to get back, give back or because it seems like a good idea or because he wants to be, he wants to influence or any reason like that. What he must do is aspire to the office with an understanding of what the office is because the task is noble but difficult often unspeakably difficult. Being an overseer is hard and taxing work. And if a man does not have a deep abiding aspiration to fulfill this calling, if he does not have a God-given aspiration to lay his life down for the Lord by giving himself to a particular people, then he's not called to be an overseer. Because to be an overseer, to aspire to be an overseer, means that you're signing up to suffer. 
That's what one of the, one of the main things. One of the main things an overseer, a pastor, an elder does is suffer. And if God doesn't give you the desire for that work, which leads to a confidence that you're called, which leads to approving amongst people that you are also called, then you'll wash out. An overseer must desire the work not because of the perceived influence or authority that comes from being an overseer or the perceived respect. Those aren't good enough reasons. You might think, well, everybody loves their pastor. I want to be loved. I want to be a pastor. Not a good reason. Because I can tell you from firsthand experience, not everybody loves their pastor. The work is hard, and it's harder than you think. And I can say this myself. It's way harder than I thought it was. This, <coughs> this became crystal clear to me in my Welcome to Pastoral Ministry moment over 22 years ago. I was a 27-year-old intern in a church in San Diego. I was brand new. I didn't have, I was just chomping at the bit to do pastory things. And so I'm, I even checked email with excitement. I mean, I was like, man, I am ready to serve. If people email me, if I ever get an email in my life, I would love to serve, Lord, and I wouldn't get emails. People wouldn't ask me questions. But once I got one, I'm like, yes, I can answer this question. And so I was raring to go. I was excited. I had ideas that I'd be just, you know, like in some sense reading theology, reading books, um, kind of maybe removed a little bit. And I'm at the office one morning, and I'm hoping to just get an assignment and my boss, my mentor, I beat him into the office. He called me. He is a seasoned, wonderful man of God. At that time, I thought he was old, but he's younger than I am now. Perspective. Anyway, he calls me and says, Hey, you willing to, are you able to go over to so-and-so's house? I was like, sure. Why? They're having a bit of trouble, he says. I'm not sure what's going on. But on the phone, there was lots of yelling. It sounded chaotic, and I heard things getting broken. And I said, well, I don't know so-and-so. And he said, you will after today. I was like, okay. Should I come and pick you up? Remember, I'm just a kid. Should I come and pick you up? And he's like, oh, no, no. I've got something else to do. I'll get there when I can, if I can. You go. You, you go. And so it was real quiet on the phone, and he just said, <laughs> before he hung up, he said, welcome to pastoral ministry. And I remember hanging up the phone thinking, oh my. And when I arrived, I got to the door, knocked on the door, and it was open already. So it was cracked, and as I knocked on the door, it opened. And so I'm standing at the threshold, and I take one step in, I hear yelling, I hear screaming. I see two little children under a table in the dining room, afraid. I look to the left. I see the husband sobbing and weeping and wailing. And I see the wife across to the other room. She's spitting nails and has, eye, has daggers kind of coming out of her eyes for good reason. I hear the dog barking and going crazy in the backyard. And I stood there and said, what am I doing here? And my boss never showed up. But the Lord did. 
the Lord did. And that day was the beginning of a long process where they were able to get help. They were able to patch together their marriage. They are different today after a long process. Now, an overseer, he must desire the work because you walk into situations like that where you see people at their lowest, at their worst, at the hardest moments in their lives, and it is gut-wrenching. There is a lot of heartache that a pastor sees firsthand. Calls, my, children, my child ran away. My wife or my husband wants to leave. I lost my job. I lost my father. I lost my mother. We were in a car accident. My husband died. My wife died. There's a lot of heartache associated with pastoral ministry. And you have to aspire to the work or you will wash out. And there are times where a pastor, a pastor has to stand up to bullies. Pastors should not be bullies, but they are always called to stand up to bullies and say no. See, an overseer must do the work and want to do the work of constantly pointing people to Jesus. That's the work. That's the calling. Desiring the work means you want people to not necessarily notice you and your work or ministry, but notice Jesus. And a pastor must aspire to this work. Otherwise, he will not last in this work. It doesn't take anyone special. It doesn't take anyone remarkably gifted. It just takes unremarkable, faithful men who serve a remarkably faithful God. So what have we seen so far? We've seen an overseer as a man of character. We've seen an overseer as a man who desires the work. Thirdly, we see an overseer as a man who can teach who can teach. I said that it, this passage was almost, almost had no gifting or, or, or requirements for activities, except there is one, and it's the ability to teach. In the midst of all of the character qualifications, we see this call for an elder, a pastor, an overseer to be able to teach. And this is the one requirement on our list. This is the one ability on our list. This is a gift, but it's a big one. This is the big gift for pastors, elders, overseers. To be an overseer, a pastor, an elder, an overseer, pastor, elder must be able to preach and teach, must be able to handle God's Word. Because remember, we do not preach or teach ourselves. We do not preach or teach conventional wisdom. We do not preach or teach biblical principles. We teach the Bible. And this is exactly what we see in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is, not just inspired, but breathed out by God. And profitable for what? Teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with complete patience and teaching. See, the overseer's only gift requirement is that they would, are able to preach and teach. Not just anything, but the word of God. Whether it's popular in season or unpopular 
out of season. A man who's called to minister is called to minister with the Word of God, called to teach and preach the Word of God, because this is what we all need. I need the Word of God. The job of the overseer is to remember that the people of God always need to, be, need to hear the, the Word of God by the power of the Spirit of God. The job of the overseer is to be constantly wielding God's Word for the people of God. An overseer might must be the one who brings the folks close enough to the Bible so that they can feel the breathed-out Word of God. An overseer is not to pontificate primarily on current events, give opinion on national debt. These words, the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, with every book in between, these words of life must burn in the bones of a pastor, must burn in the bones of an elder, must burn in the bones of, of an overseer so that he feels no choice but to preach and teach the Word of God to the people of God by the power of the Spirit of God. Though every elder might not preach on Sunday, regularly we all teach and preach. We all use the Word of God. Overseers just do it in different ways. Different overseers do it in different ways. For example, this morning, Zach taught us. Taught us in the call to worship from Psalm 46, but he also taught us by putting songs in our mouth and hearts that teach us true things about God. He will hold me fast. We sang that, and that's true. That's teaching. He will hold me fast. That's right. Do I hold myself fast? No. He holds me fast. Core studies. That's our, our Sunday school classes. Jeff leads in instructing us all on theological topics so that we can know the God of the Bible better. This is teaching. Counseling. Trey and Steve will the Word of God by coming alongside, alongside people with specific challenges and applying the Scriptures to them. That's teaching just the same. Got Bible studies, which are more of lectures, but the goal is to teach. Frank does this with singles. Jeff does this again with youth. An overseer is going to want the people of God to be shaped and formed by the Word of God. His job is to point away from himself and toward Jesus as seen in the Scriptures. I love it when people are impacted by the Word and they can't remember who preached that sermon. I love the stories like this. I wasn't, I don't know who said this, but they said da 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 and it helped me see da 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 in the Word. Or something like, I don't know what you said, but for the first time, I really saw that Jesus forgives me. That, that's what it's about. It's not about my eloquence or ability. It's not about anybody's eloquence or ability that stands in this pulpit, but it's about God's Word. It's about God's Word. Because what you need is not my opinions or thoughts. What you need is not what I think is important. What you need is the Word of God. Because as you hear the Word of God preached, and as you get to know the God of the Bible, as you get to know the Bible, you get to know God. And we all need the Lord. We all need to recognize in every phase of our life, whether we're young or old, that we never, ever move on from the Word of God. The people of God always need the Word of God, and the overseer is called to preach and teach that word. 
The overseer need not be special. In fact, an overseer, a faithful overseer, is unremarkable. See, unremarkable faithful men can serve this remarkably faithful God. What have we seen in 1 Timothy chapter 3? An overseer is to be a man of character, a man who has an aspiration and a calling, a teacher of the word, and fourthly and lastly, an overseer must watch out. An overseer must watch out for the devil. Paul mentions our arch enemy twice in two verses. Verses 6 and 7. We see in verse 6, he must not be a recent convert, speaking of an overseer, or he may become puffed up with conceit, that's pride, and fall into the condemnation of the devil. He, pastors, overseers, can fall into the condemnation of the devil. The devil is our greatest adversary, and no one is even close. The devil lives to destroy. And if there's one thing that he loves to destroy most of all, it's churches. Satan hates the church of the living God. He hates to hear the Word of God sung and prayed and preached and practiced among the people of God. He hates to see churches united together calling on, the vo- calling on God together in unity. He hates to see people, the church call people to repentance. He hates to see a praying church. He hates to see a church follow Jesus with all they have. And so, the church, our church, is constantly under attack from the evil one. Friends, we're behind enemy lines, always. Always. And he knows, Satan's smart, he knows the best way to attack the church is to attack her leaders, her overseers, her elders. Overseers can be, here's, the, here's what we see in, chapter, in verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, is that overseers can be tempted with pride. They can be tempted with conceit. They can be tempted with arrogance. Just like Satan. The devil was once a ministering angel in the presence of God. He was once the angel of light. That's what Lucifer means. But he fell. And Isaiah tells us just a little bit about that in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 through 15. You, speaking of Satan, Lucifer, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God, And I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. See that? Satan wanted to take the place of God. But, verse 15 says, you are brought down to Sheol, which is hell, Hades, to the far reaches of the pit. Satan was thrust away from his position out of heaven because he grew puffed up and conceited. He wanted to be raised higher than God. And he stands condemned and will one day be cast into eternal torment in the lake of fire. What does this have to do with overseers, with elders, with pastors? Well, Here's what it has to do with this. 
there is a temptation for pastors, especially young ones, to think of themselves more highly than they ought to. If things are going well in a church, they can be tempted to think, it's because of me. Look at the church respond to my inspiring leadership. Look at the church respond to my preaching. Look at the church respond and respect me. It's easy to think, if people are getting saved, well, that's what I do. That's my doing. Or if there's fruit in the lives of believers, thinking that's because of what I put into place. See, overseers, pastors, elders, are susceptible to fall into the trap. They can fall into the trap of thinking that their leadership, wisdom, perspective, eloquence, and learning is irreplaceable and that that's what builds the church. Overseers with that perspective, and it's a temptation for every overseer, are in danger. They're in danger of falling into the same condemnation that the devil had. Why? Because they're puffed up and conceited. Who builds the church? Jesus. Only Jesus. Jesus is the one who said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Overseers are merely servants of the Lord just like anyone else. Overseers, elders, pastors are merely tools in the hands of the Lord. I am just a tool that the Lord happens to be using today. And maybe he doesn't use tomorrow. One day, I will be put up on the shelf. I serve as a pastor, but a pastor is not my identity. One of these days, my time of service will be complete, but the work of the Lord will never end. Lord is not dependent on me or any elder or leader at our church. The word of the Lord stands forever. His overseers, even the faithful ones, come and go. See, what you need to do, if I can be so blunt as to tell you what you need to do, is to pray for your overseers more than you do. Pray that we would not succumb to the sort of pride that took Satan down. Pray that the Lord would protect us. Pray that we wouldn't lift ourselves up. Also, verse 7 says, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare or a trap of the devil. See, the devil lays traps for churches by trap, trying to trap pastors and overseers. He loves nothing more than trying to discredit the gospel of Jesus Christ by discrediting her leaders. He can do this by trapping overseers in sin, life-altering overseers. Do we sin? Absolutely. Just like everybody else. But the kind of sin that's disqualifying. And it frightens me to think that I have two enemies arrayed against me, my own sinful heart and the devil trying to trap me. Please pray. One of the things that I carry an abiding concern over is that many, maybe if you don't know me, you can stop, but many of you I, are, are, I think too highly of me. They think, you think I'm strong, but I'm not. I'm weak. 
I'm the weakest of his people. I think that the Lord uses the weakest of his people to be leaders, to be elders, to be overseers, to be pastors. You know why? <laughs> one of the, here's one reason. There's a lot of reasons. I'll just give you one. Listen, I would never study God's word if I didn't have to get up and explain it. Not the way that I do. I mean, I am... I, I come to God's Word and I think, Lord, I've got to understand this because I need to be able to explain it to everybody. I think the Lord's like, well, you know what? I don't know that he would ever crack a Bible if he wasn't a pastor. So let's make him a pastor. Boom. And you know what? Let's make it to where he's so weak. He's gotta, he, he doesn't understand anything. He doesn't know what he's doing or what he's talking about. He doesn't have a lot of experience. Let's make it to where he recognizes how dependent he is on the Spirit and on the Word of God. So let's pick Rich. He's super weak. See, if you think, you're, if you think I'm strong, here's why I think it's important. If you think I'm strong, you'll be less likely to pray for me. If you think, Rich, he's got it. No, stop, don't. I've got the devil laying traps for me on my path. So does every other faithful leader. So does every other elder. So does every other pastor. The devil is out to get your leaders. Your leaders, your pastors, don't just need your prayer. They rely on your prayer. So what is an overseer? He's a man of character. A man who aspires to the calling. A man who teaches the word and watches out for the devil. Verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The task is noble. The man is not. Notice that. The task is noble because it's noble. It is noble. It is good. It is right. For people to lay their lives down for the people of God. There's a nobility in the proclamation that there is only one way to be saved and that way is through Jesus Christ. There is a nobility in the reality that pastors are called to serve people. To serve people and protect people and point people to the truth of Scripture. There is a nobility in the proclamation of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit for the everlasting glory of God. There is a nobility and a, ta a, a, a gloriousness in the task of proclaiming that Jesus has opened a way so that we might not be treated as our sins deserve. There's a nobility in proclaiming Though you suffer, and you will suffer, that does not mean God is angry with you. There's a nobility in pronouncing the Holy Spirit can and will fill you, fill you, His people, to serve for His glory by His power. There's a nobility in announcing that Jesus can and will keep you until the last day. There is a nobility, a goodness in preaching that life is hard. Sometimes way harder than you thought. But following Jesus is always, always worth it. There's a nobility in counseling and saying, your friends and loved ones will wrong you, may leave you, but Jesus won't. There's a nobility in teaching that there is no end to the knowledge of God. There is always more of Him. And there is always more for us to learn. There's a nobility in proclaiming God is patient. He's not hasty. 
He's not ready to crush us. He's patient. He's kind. He gives us good gifts. He's merciful. He does not treat us as we deserve. And he's powerful. He can keep us and help us. There's a nobility in proclaiming all of these things. There is not a nobility in me or in any of your leaders. The task, the call, is noble. Serving the people of God is noble. Even though the Lord calls unremarkable, faithful men to serve the remarkable and faithful God. That's what an elder, that's what an overseer, that's what they are. Let's pray. Lord, in the time, I just want to pray, Lord, that you would, I pray for my own soul, Lord, first and foremost. I can't preach a message like this and be thinking of other people. I think of myself, Lord. I ask not for great power, Lord, but I ask for faithfulness. I ask not for the ability to understand mysteries of all kinds, but I pray that you would help me to follow you all the days of my life. I ask not to be able to explain the grandeur, Lord, of your glory, but I, I pray, Lord, that you would just help me to stick close to you. Lord, I am utterly dependent on you. And I know, Lord, I know I need you. I know, Lord, I am not made of anything different. I am just like everybody else. You know my weakness. You know my frame. I pray, Lord, that you would help me not to outlive my love for you. I pray the same for every elder and overseer, Lord, and for as long as there is a church called Center Church in Gilbert, Arizona, I pray that from this pulpit your word would be proclaimed, that you would Bless us with the gift of qualified overseers, elders, pastors who lay their lives down and point to the Scriptures, point to Jesus, point to all that you are because all that we are is not much. Lord, please help me. Please help us. I pray, Lord, that you would put a burning desire to pray for, I pray that you put a desire in the church that burns to pray for her leaders, Lord. And Lord, please, I pray that I, w I wouldn't dishonor your name or the testimony of your name, Lord, either by what I preach or how I live. And I pray the same for every elder and overseer in our church. For that, Lord, we rely on you. Lord, I'm grateful I can look away from myself and look to you and know that you use the unremarkable, though you are remarkable. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we give thanks and pray and place all of our hope. Amen.